And we're going to look at the international headlines with Global News Watch Nicholas Moore once again here in the studio. Hello to you, sir. Good morning, Henry. Good morning to you. A very tragic situation uh, in Lebanon. A huge explosion in the coastal city of Beirut uh, has killed at least from last count uh, 135, wounding 5,000 others. More than 300,000 people left homeless. And unfortunately, we are expecting the death toll to rise. Uh, The port itself apparently has been disabled and the surrounding buildings around there uh, are either flattened or seriously damaged. Right. And I I don't know if you've seen pictures of the aftermath, but there's also a huge crater um, where the warehouse of this explosion used to to sit. Um, The immediate cause of the explosion was a fire reaching fuel stored in warehouses next to the sea. But in the early stages, especially, there was some confusion as to the cause of the fire and the explosive agents. And that still has not been uh, definitively worked out. In fact, there were two explosions with the second one causing the vast majority of damage. State media initially reported that it was a fireworks factory that caught fire, and that is consistent with some eyewitness videos showing what appear to be pyrotechnics going off. President Michel Aoun and other officials ascribed the second explosion to 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate stored unsafely, a fact that he called unacceptable. President Aoun also declared a two-week state of emergency, a three-day mourning period, and the release of emergency funding equivalent to $66 million. Ammonium nitrate is used for fertilizer and for its explosive properties. When stored, there are strict guidelines to prevent it from coming into contact with a possible fire, and it may be that those guidelines were not followed. The material seems to have been temporarily stored in a regular warehouse for six years. And Lebanon's customs office director and the head of the port are pointing the blame at each other. Um, But in some recent news, um, it appears that the military has been ordered to place all port officials um, who have handled the affairs of the ammonium nitrate under house arrest. Prime Minister Hassan Diab said he would not preempt the investigation by saying what he knows about that one dangerous warehouse, though. Yeah, and let's talk about the response to this. U.S. President Donald Trump, uh, it, it didn't feel like he was completely briefed on all the details. Mm. He, he talked about this being a, a terrible attack, talking about the U.S. ready uh, to offer assistance. What has been uh, the various reactions around the world? Well, let's start by focusing for a minute on Israel. Um, Lebanon has been going through a period of tension, which we'll elaborate on in a moment, and Israel is one of the sources of that tension. Last week, for example, Israeli officials claimed that they thwarted an attack along the border by Hezbollah from the Lebanese side. They say now, um, the Israelis, that they did not have anything to do with the explosion. And as the two countries have no direct diplomatic relations, Israel approached Lebanon through international channels to offer humanitarian and medical assistance. Mm. Iranian Foreign Minister Javad Zarif said that Iran is willing to help in any way. French President Emmanuel Macron said the French people stood in brotherly solidarity with the people of Lebanon and that aid and resources were already on their way. Uh, British Foreign Secretary Dominic Robb stated that Britain will provide a total of £5 million worth of aid and a package to Beirut. This is set to include a search and rescue help, uh, humanitarian assistance, and expert medical support. The German embassy in Beirut reported injuries to staffers after experiencing the shockwave of that second explosion. Chancellor Angela Merkel promised aid as well and expressed her shock. The embassy also reported worries that German nationals could have possibly been killed or injured around the city. And we do have some early reports of casualties, including international victims. One Australian, two Filipinos, and four Bangladeshi nationals are among the dead. And then 21 French citizens, six Filipinos, one Italian, and one Indonesian were reported to have been injured. 
And the U.S. embassy in Beirut has also said at least one American was killed. Right. And let's uh, just to clarify, uh, there are no indications as of yet officially that this was some kind of uh, terrorist attack or even attack from an outside state. So let's just make that clear. It's just in case uh, people are confused by what uh, President Trump had uh, initially said. Uh, We're going to focus on Lebanon a bit more here, Uh, Nicholas. uh, Talk about the resignation of the foreign minister just three days ago, a warning of a possibility of a failed state. Right. Prime Minister Hassan Diab's administration is only six months old, and Nasif Hiti is the first cabinet member to resign, but he did so with a scathing condemnation of the state of Lebanese politics. He said that instead of working for one employer, Lebanon, he had to work among several with conflicting interests. He said there's a lack of will, of a unified vision, and so needed structural reforms are currently out of reach for the country. He said Lebanon is a ship in danger of sinking with everyone on board. He criticized Hezbollah, a major backer of Diab's government, but not explicitly. He said that Lebanon needed to be a radiant example in an Arab environment, making better connections with the rest of the Arab community. And again, the focus on Lebanon, this time with how the uh, COVID-19 situation is unfolding there. Uh, Following uh, Eid al-Hadha, which is the uh, holiday weekend, uh, the number of total cases in the country surpassed 5,000 with 65 deaths. And uh, the number of recovered patients still stands at uh, 1837 Uh, Interestingly, because uh, that means no new recoveries. That's right. There was a five-day lockdown in effect starting last Thursday to try and mitigate the effects of that holiday weekend, but it was a partial failure in the eyes of officials. For instance, the coronavirus reached rural rural areas of the country where it previously had no presence, and officials also drew up 555 reports against violators of social distancing and other preventative measures. One doctor reported that the situation was difficult and that the national health care system was already beyond its capacity. A fresh five-day lockdown is expected to begin later today, and we can speculate how necessary that is. Hospitals will definitely be stretched even more beyond their limits considering this explosion. Right, and so you're talking about uh, dealing with these uh, difficulties like here in Korea with uh, natural disasters like the torrential downpours. But at the same time, everyone is also simultaneously dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. So it really does compound all of the the problems uh, for various countries around the world. We are now going to turn to Indian-controlled Kashmir. Just one year ago, the Indian government revoked the the region's special administrative status, and the government has now imposed a two-day lockdown to, uh, this is not for the coronavirus, but this is Mm. to prevent unrest, uh, which they predict uh, through intelligence sources. Right. There was some lockdown earlier in the year for the coronavirus, but now uh, this is indifferent. Kashmiris have been calling August 5th a black day to mark the anniversary of the revocation of Article 370. That article had granted Kashmir the freedom of self-governance in all matters except for finance, defense, foreign affairs, and communications. Kashmir is a disputed region. India and Pakistan both claim it entirely, but each only control part after two wars. Kashmir is India's only Muslim-majority region, and in that move last year, it was also split into two federally administered regions. Communications were blacked out, and about 7,000 were detained amid the anger from the sudden move, but it was a popular decision elsewhere in the country. There are some new housing and employment laws which make it easier for people from other Indian states to get housing and compete for jobs in Kashmir and Jammu, laws that the locals suspect are meant to shift the demographics. What followed was months of heavy-handed control last year that started to lift only for the coronavirus to come around. Residents have not felt free to move about for a year now. 
You know, and when you talk about uh, the plight of the Kashmiris there um, being oppressed by the Indians, as people believe, or you talk about the plight of, let's say, the Palestinians in uh, Israel, and uh, all these other repressed minority groups, uh, including, let's say, the Rohingyas in Myanmar, and even the the black population in the United States, uh, and the emerging Black Lives Matter movement, these uh, disparate groups are actually kind of uh, showing some solidarity, and a lot of them have come out in support for the oppressed Kashmiris. Right. Also pitching in support are the human uh, rights chief of the UN, Michel Bachelet, also Uyghurs, Palestinians, and indigenous activists. Mm. Um, There's Harvard University also, Professor Cornell West, coming out with a video released through the Stand with Kashmir group, in which he said he was sending, quote, deep solidarity with his precious brothers and sisters in Kashmir, facing vicious Indian occupation, domination, social misery, and suffering. Pakistan's Prime Minister Imran Khan has accused India of making Kashmir an open-air prison, and anti-India protests and one minute of silence are planned across the country, commemorating what they are calling Siege Day. Uh, Ashok Kul, General Secretary of the Governing Party, BJP, dismissed human rights accusations and claimed that the past year has been a good one for uh, Jammu and Kashmir with reduced militancy and recruitment, but that claim is not supported by official figures. Right, and BJP is a very uh, much a a Hindu nationalist party, and there has already been accusations uh, within uh, India proper where uh, there's been a move, Mahibu, to uh, suppress minority rights there uh, at the expense of uh, perhaps what people say would be a more cohesive society and A lot of these disparate groups, whether you're talking about Palestinians or Rohingya or Uyghurs or even African-Americans, there is this sense that uh, they do not have the power by themselves to um, be able to affect the change. But perhaps with that solidarity, as we mentioned, and this idea that there could be strength in numbers uh, if people around the world all kind of show support to each other and kind of highlight what's going on, uh, perhaps that can eventually uh, long term have a positive effect. And I guess that is the goal with uh, everybody right now uh, commemorating this uh, Black Day. All right, uh, Nicholas, uh, we are going to leave it there. As always, appreciate uh, all of the reporting, and I believe we will talk to you again uh, next week. That's right. Thanks, Henry. Well said. Thank you. We are going to move on to the uh, second hour of the program. We've got a lot to talk about there. We're going to talk about the uh, Hong Kong issue and pushing back the election day. But first, let's get another check of traffic and weather.